Good morning, everyone. Hey, it's great to have you uh, here this morning with us. Several years ago, uh, there was a guy named Jim Johnson. He was a businessman from Wisconsin, and he uh, took a business trip to South Florida, down to, to Miami. As soon as he arrived at his hotel, he plugged in his laptop and sent a short email to his wife. But uh, in the and his wife's name was Jennifer. In the haste of sending the email, he typed in the wrong email address, and instead of instead of going to Jennifer Johnson, it went to a lady named Jean Johnson who lived in Iowa. The only problem was that Jean was the wife of a preacher that had just passed away. In fact, he had been been buried that very morning. The preacher's wife, uh, after the service, got home, saw the email, opened up the email, and read it, and at the end of it, it was signed, Your Loving Husband and she promptly fainted. The email message said this, Arrived safely, but it sure is hot down here. P.S. Looking forward to your arrival tomorrow. Well, that was unexpected to say the least. Have you ever received uh, some news or or something happened to you that was unexpected? A number of years ago, in fact, Reed and I hadn't been married very long, and I got a letter uh, first time I've ever gotten one. In fact, I think it's probably the, the only time I've ever got one. But the return address was uh, Internal Revenue Service. I'm like, what in the world could this be? I opened up that letter, uh, not with haste, but very carefully. And, and it told, told me that I owed them several hundred dollars. Uh, like I said, I was just married, first church, making pennies. Uh, I didn't have that money. And boy, it was unexpected. Uh, and certainly wasn't uh, wasn't uh, happy to receive that. But a few year, years after that, Reed and I were uh, at, at the Parsonage at the church there in Restaurant. A guy showed up the door. It, it was a guy that didn't attend our church, but we knew who he was. In fact, it had an opportunity to minister to him in, uh, through, through a situation. He showed up. We let him in, and he said, Hey, I've been blessed recently and just wanted to bless you. And he hands us an envelope, turns around, and walks out. We were kind of shocked and didn't really know what to do but after he left of course we opened the envelope and and in the envelope was a thousand dollars unexpected appreciated but unexpected in case you're wondering i do have an open door policy uh you're welcome to drop by our house anytime you want uh about a year ago reed and i were eating uh dinner after church right after church we had gone over to texas roadhouse when we sat down we looked over and we saw the coddle family sitting uh uh, a few booths so, away from us, uh, Neil, Malie, and and their daughters were there eating. Uh, just as they got up to leave, our waitress came over to our table and said, "Hey, your bill has been taken care of." Well, we looked at the coddles and we knew immediately what had happened. We knew that they had had taken care of our meal, and I I thought to myself, I knew I should have ordered that big T-bone instead of the sirloin. Uh, un- unexpected. Sometimes things happen to us. Quite honestly, both good and bad that are that that are totally unexpre- uh, unexpected. We didn't see them coming. They they totally catch us by surprise. Well, welcome welcome to the world of Jesus followers. They were constantly and regularly experiencing the unexpected. Uh, telling a, a man to get up that 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 was a quadriplegic and and walk, and he did. Touching a, a guy with leprosy and his leprosy vanishing, going away. Giving sight to a blind man, casting out demons, giving life back to the dead. They saw 
man, they saw many things that were unexpected, but as surprising as the things that Jesus did had to be to them, they also were surprised over and over again by what Jesus said. He would catch them off guard, and, and they must have thought to themselves, maybe even said it out loud a few times, he said, what? You see, deep, Jesus' disciples, as, as Jesus taught, as, as he was, was talking about his ministry, we don't, we don't know. We don't have pictures of it. We don't know where they were. Were they, were they in the crowd? Were they, were they off to the side? Did they stand behind Jesus as he, he talked? I, I, I envision that sometimes they're standing behind Jesus. Like if you've been watching the update, the daily updates from President Trump with his briefings, that you wonder if sometimes they, they weren't standing behind Jesus like Mike Pence stands behind Jesus. And, and you have to wonder, Mike Pence stands there rather stoically, no expression, not responding to anything. And you wonder if Jesus' disciples weren't doing that sometimes. And, and, and just like Mr. Trump will, will say something occasionally, and you know Mike Pence has to be thinking, he said, what? What did he just say? Uh, his disciples had to be thinking that, that very same thing or had to be reacting that same way. You, you wonder if, if the disciples weren't standing there and they just kind of started scooting closer together and leaned over, did he just say what I thought he said? Did he just say that? Over the next four weeks, we're going to look at uh, four teachings of Jesus that would have definitely had his disciples really, quite honestly, as well as us, saying, he said what? Now, the now, now the striking thing about these teachings, kind of the cool thing about these teachings is that they all come from the same sermon. We're not, we're not going to look at the whole sermon. We're just going to look at four different aspects of it. Uh, in, in fact, if you, if you look at it, there are throughout this, this sermon that Jesus taught, which is Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're only going to do four of them. But there are, there are dozens of things that Jesus says that had to have them thinking, saying to themselves, he said what? There were some things that he said had to have Andrew saying to his brother, uh, uh, m- maybe we should rethink this uh, th- this thing of following Jesus. What have we got ourselves into? Could have had James saying to his brother John, m- maybe we should return to fishing. And and surely had to have Matthew saying, Matthew's the one that recorded this for us, Should have, could have had Matthew saying, and, and he might have been the most confused, uh, had, had Matthew saying, should I be offended? Uh, as we read the text, I'll point out why he would think that. Should I be challenged? Should I be excited? Should I be scared to death? What is he talking about? So as I read the text, if you have your Bibles, I, I want you, and let me encourage you to do this because you have a chance to win something here this morning. Now I realize I watch on my, my phone, I, I see during worship our, our numbers go up. We've got 95 or 105 people watching. Then when I get up to preach, it kind of drops down. So, so, so I want you to hang in there for a little bit because you have a chance to win something. Uh, but turn to Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to 48. I'm going to read those, those verses here in a second. And if you've got it open, you might be able to go back and look at it real quick and get the answer. So, so I'm going to ask you to, to, to come up with the answer to the title of my sermon this morning. I don't think I've ever done this before. Uh, I'm going to give you the chance to title it. And the first person that titles it correctly is going to receive this, this nine pack of of Sam's Club's best toilet paper. It's members mark, but it's good, high quality item here. I know you can find it in stores now, but uh, 
But we're going to give this away free for the first person that on Facebook puts the right answer. My wife's watching for it. She's going to text me as, so, so, as soon as someone gets the right answer, and I will, uh, as long as that happens, I will go through and, uh, and I'll, I'll let you know who, who won that. So, so, so follow along. Look for the answer to that. What you think today's title is, he said what? I have to, and, and there's the blank. I have to. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 5, starting with verse 38 through the end of the chapter, you have heard it said. Now Jesus, uh, the verses before that had, had already said several things that start off with that same phrase. Basically what Jesus was doing was talking about Old Testament law. said, you've heard it said or you've heard it taught. This is what the law says, but he, but he raises the bar for us as believers. You've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil man. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if someone wants to sue you to take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. If someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Verse 43, you have heard it said, love your neighbor as yourself and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that it may be that uh that you may be sons of, of your heavenly father uh, he causes the, the, his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous if you love those who love you your reward uh, what reward will you get are you not doing uh i'm gonna have to start uh using the bible my wife got me that's large print because uh, i'm struggling here to read let me try this again. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? That's why I mentioned Matthew was a tax collector. As Jesus was saying that, he had to be thinking, what, Jesus? You just, you just threw me under the bus? Uh, uh, and if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Uh, Jesus said a lot of shocking things there. I'm just waiting for my phone to ding and r- someone to have the right answer. So uh, you guys, if you have your phones, put the answer you think is right uh, on there. Uh, Jesus said a lot of things in this text that were shocking. Uh, a lot of things that stood out that, that actually could be the answer to the question. He said, what I have to? Uh, he, 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 said, he said this, you, you need to turn the other cheek. Uh, if no one gets the answer, I'm going to have to give it away. Uh, he said, you have to turn the other cheek. Well, that's kind of shocking, isn't it? Isn't it? He said, uh, he, he said, if you, uh, if you are sued and someone wants to take your tunic, give to him your cloak also. Uh, if someone says, hey, go with me one mile, he says, go with you two miles. Uh, and then he says, and, and boy, this, this had to, to cause them to pause a little bit. Then Jesus says, you need to love your enemy. Wow, that is shocking. You love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you? What are you talking about, Jesus? But that isn't the most shocking thing that Jesus said. If no one got the right answer, I'm giving it away now. And I get to keep the toilet paper. Amen. But Jesus says this. He says, be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I think that's the most shocking thing that Jesus says in this text. I, I've read this text. I bet some of you as well have read this text hundreds of times. And I'm not sure that I ever, ever really caught that, 
that last statement. I don't think I've ever caught that idea that Jesus told us, that Jesus told us that we have to be perfect. Now, now, I originally started this sermon series and my plan was, my first sermon was going to be, he said what? I have to love my enemy. So if you guessed that, you were almost right. But, but the last thing he said here was that we have to be perfect. See, sometimes the last thing we say is the most important thing that we say. I, I, I remember the first time we let our kids, uh, uh, let our oldest, Brian, babysit the younger kids and, and, uh, while, while we went out. Uh, as, as we walked away, we told him, Brian, if something happens, and, and this was the most important thing we said. Now, that was the days before cell phones. But, so we said, Brian, if something happens, call Becky. Because we knew Becky would be there to help him out. Uh, you, you're going to leave and go away for a, a long time, and you're leaving that loved one, maybe your sweetheart, your wife, your husband. The last thing you say to them is important. You, you might say to them, I love you, or I'll write every day, or we'll FaceTime every night at 9 o'clock, or I, I, I'll be counting down the, the minutes till we see each other again. The last thing you say is the most important. Jesus, even before Jesus went to heaven, the last thing he said was the most important thing that he said. He said, go, therefore, make disciples. Go out and, and grow the kingdom. So the last thing that Jesus says here in this text that finishes this, this, this long set of ideas of you've heard it said was this be perfect here's the problem here's the problem how can i be maybe maybe that's why i've overlooked this passage or or that this verse so many times I, i i don't do a good job probably of loving my enemies or turning the other cheek or or, or some of the other things Jesus mentioned, we'll talk about those later. Uh, but, but, but at least there's a shot that I'm going to get that. There, there's hope that I might do those things. Uh, and, and so maybe I've I, I've missed that because be perfect is how in the world can I do that? When Reed and I moved to Rushville, uh, w- there there was a, a sweet lady in the church. Her name was Doris Doris Tomlinson, and her husband Woody. They were longtime members of Rushville Christian Church. Great people, sweet lady. Uh, Doris taught Sunday school for years and years and was a, uh, just, just a wonderful teacher and a wonderful lady. Uh, and, and I really, really liked her, but I had one problem with Miss Doris. Um, every time I saw her, every time I visited her or, or talked to her at church or saw her out in the community, Every time I talked to her, she would talk about her son. Her son's name was Dean. Dean was a pastor at a Christian church in Topeka. And Miss Doris would tell me how perfect Dean was. Dean was this, and Dean was that. Dean was the best preacher, and Dean's church is doing this. And, and oftentimes she pointed out, well, this is how Dean's church is doing it, with the kind of with the subtle push, well, well, maybe you should do it this way, Tim. And every program that Dean did, I mean, it just blew up and was great. It just, people were coming left and right. Uh, I, I kept waiting for her to say, I, I was talking to Dean the other day, and he was out on Lake Shawnee. He was out walking on Lake Shawnee, and he calmed a storm. I, I just expected her to say that. And, and then one day, I, I met Dean. And Dean was a great guy, uh, really was a fantastic guy, neat guy. And, and then I, I met some people that knew 
15 that had been in his church, and I found out what I had suspected all along. Uh, he wasn't perfect. He wasn't perfect. As I, as I look out over in, the in empty church, church I, I can envision some of you sitting here because we're a small church. We all sit in the same seats every Sunday. Uh, little spoiler alert, big churches, people do that also. But, but, but I can envision where some of you are sitting. In fact, as I think of some of you out there, I, I, I think of how, how you're people of great faith and how you, some of you have great passion. And some of you have such a great heart of service. In fact, I, 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 I'm thinking of some of you, and, and the truth is, I, I look at you and, and I pale. My, my, my passion, my service, my faith pales in comparison to yours. And yet, not a one of you are perfect. See, I know Jesus tells me to be perfect. It says right there, verse 30, uh, 48, be perfect. Jesus tells me to be perfect, but in my heart, I know I can't. In my heart, I know I can't. That, that, that's a problem. Be, be perfect, but I can't. But, well, well, here's the solution. Let me, uh, let me give you some hope. There's a solution. Here's the solution is I can be. Ex- except the reality is this. When, when I say I can be, uh, in fact, when I first typed it in my notes, I typed it in with a question mark. Uh, I changed it to an exclamation point. But, but really, when I, when I typed it, I was thinking I can be more of a question. But, but catch this. If Jesus said it, and in my Bible, yours as well, if you open it up, it's in red. That means Jesus said it. If Jesus said, be perfect, therefore your heavenly Father is perfect, then aren't we... Aren't we to believe that? Aren't, aren't we to buy in that I can be? Or, or, or did Jesus make a mistake here? Did he, did he really mean to say something else? Uh, uh, I, I have to admit this. I looked in on a little, uh, little reality here. There, there are times when I'm preaching, when, and, and usually it comes like at the, at, at the end of a thought and I'm going to move on to something else. Uh, sometimes it's at the end of the sermon, but, but every once in a while I'll come to a place in my sermon and I will say something that, that as soon as the words are out of my mouth, it's not in my notes, I'm ad-libbing, as soon as the words are out of my mouth, I think to myself, why did you say that? Uh, I, I literally, I know some of you, you can apologize to your kids because you don't use that, this word, but I do. I think to myself, that was stupid. Uh, so, so when I'm preaching and you guys think to yourself, what did he just say? That doesn't make any sense at all. Just know that I'm probably thinking the very same thing in my mind. So, so was Jesus coming to the end of this section, the section that, that, that had been a long series of, you've heard it said, talking about Old Testament law and then raising the bar for us. Did Jesus come to the end of this section, getting ready to move on to a new thought, which we see in chapter 6, did he come to the end of the section and suddenly he didn't know how to end it? Suddenly he didn't know what to say. And so he ends up just kind of blurting out, uh, uh, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And, and so as he continues on, chapter 6, 1, be careful not to let your acts of righteousness be before, be, uh, before men to be seen by them. If you do, you'll, as he was saying that, was Jesus thinking, 
Why did I say that? Was was Jesus thinking that has to be that has to be the the weirdest thing I've ever said? Was was Jesus thinking be perfect? Why did I say that? They can't be perfect. Or did he actually mean to say it? Was it the exact intentional way he meant to finish? Finish these ideas where he raised the bar for us as believers pretty high. Well, I, I think you know the answer to that. Of course, it's exactly what he meant to say. But we still have a problem. What does he mean? Okay, he says be perfect as their heavenly fathers. But, but well, well, what does that mean? Because we've already established, I think, that I know I can't be perfect. And uh, that, and I look at most of you, and I realize as good as you are, you probably can't be perfect. So what does he mean? Jesus uses, the, the word perfect is a Greek word, uh, the Greek word teleos. And teleos has the idea of being complete, of finished, of mature. Kind of has the idea of, of, of growing up. A couple of years ago, Reed and I... Uh, went to Willie's uh, restaurant in Atchison, and we were standing uh, standing at the front. It was a Friday night. It was pretty crowded. We were waiting to, to be seated. We had about a 10 or 15-minute wait. We're standing there, and this red-headed college-aged girl who was uh, uh, working there comes walking towards us, and I elbowed Rita, and I said, Rita, isn't that, uh, uh, isn't that, and I couldn't remember her name, and Rita said, yes, it is. That's uh, uh, and she couldn't remember her name either. And so as she came closer to us, this this college age girl who worked there saw me, and her eyes kind of lit up, kind of unlike Joanne at McDonald's. If you were listening last week, her eyes lit up and said Diet Coke, right, Tim? No, she didn't say it. Her eyes lit up and she said, "Hi, Tim." I said, "Hi, how you doing?" And all right, what is her name? So so we were talking. We we finally figured out it was Madison. That was her name. She she had grown up in Rushville, but. Uh, had her and her family had moved to Atchison years years before that, uh, so so a little bit later when we were seated, it was it was Madison that took us to our seat, and as she set us down in our booth, somewhere in that process, I said something like this to her: "I said, Madison, you're all grown up. L- last time I saw you, you were you were about this tall, Madison. Madison, you're all grown up. That's the word." That's teleos. What Jesus then is saying is that our faith needs to be complete, needs to be mature, needs to be finished. It needs to grow up. Now, note this. Don't get hung up. And that, that's probably why I, I missed this verse all along. Don't get hung up thinking that Jesus is saying here that we have to be without flaw. Don't get hung up thinking that Jesus is saying here that we have to be sinless now now those are good goals we should we should strive for that uh, later on in scripture we're to, said to be holy as he is holy or set apart as he is set apart uh james tells us that we need to uh, flee the devil uh and and draw near to god so we we certainly need to live uh righteous lives and holy lives we need to to, to run away from things that are wrong so 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 that that's a good goal to live without sin the problem is there's only one person that was without sin and that was jesus but but that's not what he's saying. He's not saying that we have to live a total life of sinlessness. What he's saying is you need to mature. You need to grow up. Harold Fowler explains it this way. 
He says God, or he says Jesus' idea of real religion or true righteousness is to make us like God. Nothing else, nothing less. See, it would be a radical statement if Jesus was saying here, be perfect, be sinless. And while I'm glad that's not what he's saying. But it's also a, a radical statement when Jesus tells us we need to grow up and be like God. So here's the problem. Here's the problem about being perfect. How can I? Well, here's the solution. We, we can. I, I can be perfect. We can be perfect because Jesus has called us to that. So what does it mean? What does it look like? Here's, here's the application. Let me walk through five things that he says. I, I won't take very long on this. Five things that Jesus says. And, and I'm not going to go into a lot of detail. I'm trying to flesh them out on what it means to you in your life. The, the, the truth is, I think we know exactly where some of these, th- these things hit us. It's just, are we willing are we willing to let God speak to us in those areas? So, so Jesus speaks to five things, and, and these aren't necessarily to be taken totally literal, uh, that, that these are the only things, but it really just paints a picture on how we should, uh, should look at things. So he starts out by this. He says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the left also. Uh, so he says there, we need to have a humble spirit so we've debated this i've heard people debate is jesus literally saying here that if someone comes up on the street taps you on the shoulder and smacks you punches you in the in uh, in the face that you have to turn the other cheek bobby i didn't tell you i was gonna do can you come up here for just a second there's only one bobby that's you yeah so so bobby's gonna come up here we're gonna stay socially distant so we'll measure out five or six feet uh wait so 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 we, we interpret it this way, that someone strikes you. So you haul off and slug them. I know my hand got a little closer, so hold your breath when I do that. So, so does Jesus mean if I haul off and strike you? Now, it's kind of subtle, but 90% of people, somewhere between 75 and 90% of people are right-handed. Are you right-handed? Okay. Everyone, everyone here, most people here are right-handed. All five of us. Uh, so, so if I struck him, which, which cheek would I be striking you on? Okay, but Jesus said if someone strikes you on the right cheek, so does that mean if, hey, if they hit me on the left, I don't have to do it? No, probably what he meant by this, what they would have understood, it's if I had done this to Bobby, if I'd gone up to him and done that. Okay, thank you, Bobby. Bobby's bigger than me and his arms are about that big, so I'm not going to do either one to him. Uh, but, but it really wasn't so much an act of violence as it was an act of of putting someone down, an act of humiliating someone. It was more of a, uh, and we don't do that in our society. I don't think people go up and slap someone like that. But it's more of a, I, I'm going I'm to one-up you and slap you that way. Uh, I would suggest that in some ways it might be easy for us to turn the other cheek if someone actually punched us than if someone has offended us. If someone has somehow hurt our pride or hurt our honor, that's when we really struggle. struggle. So, so really what Jesus is saying, man, when someone, someone knocks you down a little bit, don't retaliate. Just, okay, do it again if you want. Uh, Jesus says, if someone sues you for your tunic, give them your cloak as well. Let me, let me give you a little explanation. I've, I've always struggled with this one because I, 
I've, I've had kind of a hard time figuring out what is, how does that apply us to, to today. So really what it's saying there, when it says if someone sues you for your tunic, he would have been talking about your, uh, in their dress, I'll put it in today's vernacular, it would be your t-shirt, your undershirt. In fact, I have on a, a Troy uh, 2016 uh, Troy football 13-0, I think it was, state championship t-shirt underneath my shirt. Uh, so it would be like if someone says, give me that T-shirt, Tim, or it could, so that would have been an inner tunic, or he could have been talking about an outer tunic, so he could have been literally talking about a shirt. So if someone choose, sues you for your T-shirt or your shirt, give them your cloak. Now, here's where we struggle. We don't we don't have something that, that's a really a cloak for us. I guess a coat might be the closest thing. For them, as we think of people dressed that day, it would have been a robe, but uh, a cloak was actually more valuable and had a lot of different uses. Here's why I have trouble finding application here. The person that Jesus is talking to here is in the wrong. Because he says, if someone sues you. So it's assuming that I've, done, I've offended someone. Now, I don't know why they'd be suing. Uh, and here's the second thing. Really, you're going to sue me for a shirt? You're going to sue me to get my Troy uh, 2016 state championship t-shirt? Now, I realize that's valuable, but uh, you're going to... Sue me for a shirt. Um, But we're to have a hopeful attitude. See, I think the key understanding here is is to understand that Jesus is asking the offender, the the one who's being sued, the one who's messed up. And earlier in chapter 5, Jesus points out, hey, before someone can take you to court, figure things out, work it out, have humility before that ever happens. But but this is what he's saying. Uh, he, he's saying before or, or when that happens, don't give them just what they've sued you for. Give them your cloak as well. Now, now note this: Jewish law forbade it, for, for, forbid people from suing for their cloak. Their cloak was so valuable, so important, it was literally at night could be used as a cover that you cannot sue someone and take their cloak. Uh, so, so if you've offended someone what jesus is saying do more than the law could ever ask you to do so church we we see often that the new testament calls us to unity and it calls us to uh to to consider others better than ourselves, to love others as ourselves. what would happen in the church if we decided certainly in the church but even as we move out of the church if we decided to apply this teaching teaching if we offended someone Instead of doing just the least required of us, we went over and uh, beyond what they could have expected. See, what is hopeful there is that our attitude would let people see Jesus in us. And then he says, if someone forces you to go one mile, don't just go one mile, go two. Jesus' listeners would have understood exactly what this meant. In, In their day, a Roman soldier, a Roman official could demand you to carry their their burden, their pack, or whatever they had. They they could uh, could cause you to carry their their burden for them, but they could only cause you to do it for a mile. It, it is said that there were stakes every mile on, on the roads throughout Israel, so that you would know if if you picked it up at a mile marker seventeen, I only had to carry it to mile marker eighteen. And as soon as I got to mile marker eighteen, I could throw it down. Is Jesus talking here in a narrow sense that? That only if a Roman soldier compels you to walk a mile, then go two. If he is, then we've got good news. We're off the hook. I have not seen a Roman soldier ever ask me to do that. 
But I think he's talking in a broader sense. We need to have a heart of service. See, I'm sure there was someone in the crowd as Jesus taught that day on that hillside in Galilee. There was someone who, who, as Jesus said that, might have been thinking, that happened to me last week. I was almost home, a block from my house, and this Roman soldier came up and threw his pack on the ground and said, carry it, Jew. Is Jesus suggesting, Jesus here is suggesting that we don't just do what's required of us. We don't just do the least we have to do. Because when we do, it, it comes with resentment, frustration, and anger. But instead, we have a heart of service. We, we do something that's not required or expected, and we do it for the sole purpose of honoring God and looking like Jesus. And when we do that, it produces joy and fulfillment. Jesus, then in verse 42, says, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who would borrow from you. Is Jesus here, is Jesus here banning uh, banks? Is he here saying, hey, banks, uh, you can loan money, but you can't charge interest, and if they don't pay you back, you can't do anything? Kind of sounds like the federal government a little bit there. But, but is Jesus doing that? Is, is Jesus suggesting that uh, as Christians, anyone comes up and asks us for money or what we have, we have to give it to them? Uh, I don't think he's asking us to be uh, irresponsible. He, he, he's not suggesting that, that, that someone sees us and says, oh, there's a Christian. Hey, give me your money. Give me your car. Give me your house. Uh, no, he's suggesting here that we have a healthy generosity. What Jesus really is calling us to do is to simply understand that none of what we have, this is a little bit radical, none of what we have is ours. It all belongs to God. Everything we have, our car, our house, the tools in our shed, the money in our pocket is God's. And if it's God's, then we can be generous. So when we see a need, we, we don't calculate the cost to us. We see someone that has a problem. We don't calculate, hey, what's this going to cost me? Instead, we consider, how can I bless them? Uh, this week, uh, I mentioned earlier that we had the Joshua 1-9 initiative, and, and, and this w- week we received an email notification. When, when you give online, uh, an email is sent to the, the office uh, with, with each gift, and, and we received an email notification that a family in the church had donated $1,200 to the Joshua 1-9. Uh, initiative and when i saw that my first response was wow and my second response was oh no because i just assumed that they had accidentally typed in one too many zeros they meant to donate 120 i I challenged people to donate 10 percent a tithe and then they they typed in 120 and accidentally hit an extra zero didn't catch it when they hit the the give the final button, and then they got an email confirmation saying, thank you for your donation of $1,200. And I envisioned that family, and, and I won't name them, I wish I could, but I won't. I can imagine them sitting at home like, oh, no. I gave $880 more than I meant to. So so I did the only thing I felt was was the right thing. I called them. I said, hey, d- did you accidentally put an extra zero in there? If you did, we'll, get, we'll, refund, we'll refund the 880 and and this godly woman said, no, speaking of her and her husband, no, uh, we meant to do that. We talked about it, and that's what we wanted to do. You know, really what they were saying, what they were living out is verse 42. They, they realized it wasn't theirs. It was God's. And 
And finally, the last thing he says there is love your enemy. Have a heavenly disposition. As Jesus said this, the, the Jew sitting on that hillside, probably as soon as he said, uh, you've heard it said, uh, hate, hate your enemy and, uh, and love those that, that, that do good for you, they had to immediately think uh, of their enemy, and it would have been Rome. They would immediately thought of the, the Roman captors, the ones that, that were running around causing grief to them, having to pay taxes to them. They would immediately thought, oh, I know you're talking about when you say enemy, Jesus. You're talking about Rome. In fact, Jesus himself might have, might have had a couple people pop into his mind as he said this. I, I'm sure when he said that, he was thinking of his own enemies. And Jesus never asked us to do something that he's not willing to do. So when he says, love your enemies, he was talking to himself as well. But, but a couple things might have popped into his head. Jesus because he was God in the flesh, might have been able to look out and see some of the faces there and know that some of those same people were going to be in the crowd uh, about two and a half years later. They were going to be in the crowd yelling, crucify him, crucify him. And he might have been thinking, well, that guy there and that one over there and, and those three in the back, they're my enemies. They're going to yell crucify. He might have been thinking about the religious leaders that were in the background. They were, they were at the background listening to Jesus teach that day. He might have been thinking about them because they were the ones that plotted together and, and made up stories and had Jesus falsely arrested and, and, and sent to the cross. Jesus might have been thinking, enemy, they're my enemies. And maybe he glanced over at the 12, whether they were over here, over here, behind him. He might have glanced at them and thought, enemies? How, how about my disciple who, who betrays me for, for a few pieces of silver? Or he might have been thinking about the other 11 who to the man, abandoned him and acted like they didn't know him. Yeah, yeah, Jesus, Jesus was thinking enemy. But the reality is it doesn't make a difference who our enemy is. It really is simply someone who hurts us, someone who causes us pain, someone who inflicts heartache in our life. Or for a lot of us, maybe it's more difficult if it's, it's pain in the life of a family member or a friend. The truth is we don't have to think very hard to come up with someone that would fit the bill of being an enemy. And yes, when that happens, we could gather our people around us. We could get our family, our friends to, around us, and they, they could reinforce our right to be upset. They could plot with us our re- retaliation. But Jesus says, love the one who hurts you. Pray for the one who causes you harm. He said, What? See, Jesus is commanding us here in Matthew 5 to grow up. To grow up. Let me, let me close with this. Several years ago, uh, Rita and I were vacationing with our, our kids in uh, Branson. And, uh, and we went to, to, to one of those tin-type uh, uh, booths where, where you get your tin-type picture made. And, you know, we all got to dress up different and, you know, old-fashioned and so forth. And we took the, took the picture and... And uh, and they said, come back, I don't know, come back in an hour, come back two hours or whatever, you can pick it up. So we went and got in line and stood in line for two hours to ride some lame ride. And then when that was over, we came back and we picked up our picture. And and when they set that, I think it was a five by seven, uh, hangs in the hallway at, at our house. They, they set that picture down. I looked in the picture and I saw Rita. And she looked kind of cute. And I saw I saw Brian and Joel and Crystal and Caleb. And right in the middle of the picture was my brother, Rick. And I'm like, how did they get Rick in this picture? Is, is he at Branson? Did, did he somehow sneak in? They took his picture, somehow put it. 
I was staring at my brother. It literally took me, it literally took me a few moments to realize I wasn't looking at my brother, I was looking at me. It's the first time I ever thought, wasn't the last, but it was the first time I ever thought and realized that I looked like my brother, that we looked alike. And I thought, hey, he's handsome. <laughs> no, I didn't think that. I thought, poor guy, he looks just like me. Jesus is making a bold statement here. He's saying, be perfect, which really is saying you need to grow up and look like me. So when people see us in the picture of our life, they, they see Jesus. See, here's a problem. <laughs> How can I? But the solution is Jesus meant for us to take it serious, meant that we can do it. And then he gives us, throughout these three chapters, gives us example after example after example of practical ways to take Jesus into our life and end up looking like him. He said, what? I have to be perfect? Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you that you trust us enough to give us this teaching, that you trust us enough that we can strive to be perfect, not sinless, although we need to strive for that, but that we can grow up to look just like you. Father, we pray today that some of the teaching that you've given today, some of these applications will will sink in. We'll figure out where it applies to us in our life, and we'll realize that you've called us to look just like Jesus. Father, just bless us today. Uh, Father, bless us during this time of uncertainty with the certainty of your presence in our life. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being with us uh, today. We'll be with you again next Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, and hopefully in the next two or three, four weeks, we'll be back here live in church. But till then, join us each day. And remember, God is still God, and God is in control.